his voice. Lord Jesus, thank you for ascending back into heaven and returning to the Father's right-hand side to bring about completion to your finished work, completion to the gospel on our behalf. Lord, I pray that we as Christians, and perhaps not yet Christians, would no longer sort of ignore that most important aspect of the gospel, that being your ascension, and enable us to see how important, how significant your ascension back into heaven is and how that affects our practical Christian lives. I pray, Lord, that every word I say would be from you and for you and your glory and credit alone. I need your help and I ask for your anointing and your power in this moment of teaching. Through Christ we pray. Amen. All right, I'll now invite Lorraine Jones to read uh, today's scripture. Good morning. Uh, Today I'm reading from Romans chapter 8, and I'm reading verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? much. Today happens to be the final installment in our current sermon series uh, called Show Me What the Bible Says About. And this, the design and the purpose of this series has been to basically get back to some of the the Bible doctrine uh, basics, to learn them for the first time or to relearn them, and and then to be sort of re-energized about how important they are. Get back to basics sort of thing. The idea has been, how can I, how can we more closely align our worldview and looking at what the world is like and adopt God's worldview for our own worldview. Really what the Bible does is define reality and we want more of that reality defined for us according to God, the author and the maker of the universe. So to set up this final message, let me tell you a story. May or may not be true. Nearly 20 years ago, this is the true part, nearly 20 years ago, Incredibly, I was a part of a team of home builders, framers more specifically. We built homes in northwest Calgary, Alberta. So imagine our team of framers uh, building this particular beautiful uh, four-bedroom home from scratch, 3,000 square feet. And and so initially, and, and we began with nothing, began essentially with dirt and concrete footings, and then we would build the house on those footings. And so we get to work. We got work to do. And by the way, it's winter time. That is not a fun time to be building a home, especially on the prairies. But anyhow, we start building this home, and we build the main floor. You got to have a floor to walk on, right? And then on top of that floor, what do you need? You then need your first floor walls. Then what do you build on top of your first floor walls? Your second floor floor, okay? That's what you do. And then on top of the second floor, the second floor walls that go on top of that. And then what goes on top of the second floor walls? Anybody know? The roof. You got to put the roof on. This thing has to be sealed shut and buttoned up so the rain and the snow and the wind doesn't get on. And so joists and rafters and then plywood sheeting on top of that. And then we install the windows, okay? And what do we now have? We have a shell of a house, a shell of a brand new four-bedroom, 3,000-square-foot home. And then as time goes on, we framers, 
we decide to stick around. We want to check out the remainder of the construction, sort of the finishing details of this home. And so the next set of people to come in are the plumbers, okay? We got a couple of plumbers, I think, in the church. And the plumbers come in and they install the pipes and the sinks and then the electricians come in. And we got a few of those in the church as well. And they, they install the wiring and lights and all that sort of thing. Then the insulators come in. And especially in a place like Calgary, you need insulation to keep that home warm. And then after the insulators come, it's the drywallers and the tapers. And they install the, the drywall and they tape things up. Then the painters come and then the finishing carpenters come. And voila! The new home is complete and it's beautiful. Problem is, our framing team is still there, hanging around, living in this new home. That's when things get a little awkward and a little weird, especially when the new homeowners come in to sort of take possession of their home and start living in their own home that they bought. And there we are, though. We're sticking around, we're not leaving. And we start asking, we framers, are asking, what's for breakfast? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? We're hungry. What's on TV? Where's the clicker? And for our TV watching enjoyment, we need pop. We need chips. We need pretzels. Where are they? Get me some. You see, the problem here is, after we built this home, this beautiful home, we home construction guys have not moved upward and onward to the next thing, to build more new homes for more new people. And then to help more people, we're kind of stuck. We're kind of staying in the same place. You see, part of what's needed for this new home is for us home builders to move on, to get out of there, and then to accomplish the next important thing in our lives, which is to help more people. Here's the point of this story. So it is with Jesus. Now, in a much less ridiculous and much more serious and important way, you see, unless Jesus return back up to heaven to then stand at the Father's right hand, you and I and the fullness of God's plan for his church family, it wouldn't be finished. He had to move on to bring completion to God's plan for you and for us and for his church. Unless Jesus left, amazing benefits would not be received uh, by you and by myself. He had to leave for those benefits to then be realized for you and I to then pursue the mission of Jesus with these benefits and with these helps. You see, many times, here's my issue, many times a lot of Christians forget about the ascension aspect of the gospel. They don't think about the ascension. They leave out the importance of the ascension when they speak about Jesus. Yes, we love the fact that Jesus, he lived our perfect life for us in our place. Yes, we love the, the cross. How can we forget about the cross aspect of the gospel? We love the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's amazing. That's, that's beautiful. And then we love the resurrection part of the gospel because three days later after his, his crucifixion, Jesus rose from the dead. How could we forget about his resurrection on our behalf and he beat Satan, sin, and death? We love the resurrection. That's Easter Sunday. But we often forget about Christ's ascension, which happened 40 days after his resurrection, 40 days after Easter, and we say, I don't know what to do about this launching in the sky thing. Uh, it just sort of happened, and, you know, up, Jesus starts going up into heaven, and then the angels come around, and they say some words to, to those disciples, and I, I don't know what to do with that. Like, what, what's the point of that? And tragically, Christ's ascension, it just doesn't mean that much to a lot of Christians, let alone not yet Christians, 
and they just don't think about too much about his ascension at all. Do you think about Christ's ascension? Ask yourself this, are you thinking about the, the ascension? Maybe you're thinking about it only now after quite some time. But my mission, so I have a mission today, and my mission is simply this. I have a mission for you and for me. I want to show you how crucial, how important, how significant Jesus ascending back into heaven is for you and for everyone, uh, and, and it should be an important aspect every day of your Christian life. And there's actually a practical, several practical aspects of his ascension that make a difference in your daily life. Okay, this is what we're looking at. The sermon title for today is simply The Significance of Christ's Ascension for You. The Significance of Christ's Ascension for You. And what I want to share with you now are four biblical truths about uh, how important his ascension is. Number one, in your notes, there is a sermon outline in your bulletin. Please fill, follow along with that. Fill in the blanks. It helps you sort of stay engaged with what we're learning in Scripture here. And point number one is simply this. Christ's ascension allowed him to prepare a place for us in heaven. Christ's ascension allowed him to then prepare a place for us in heaven. So part of the reason Jesus went to heaven and go back to there was to prepare a place, get a place ready for you in which to live in heaven. He is the ultimate builder. I talked about our building teams and our construction teams. Well, we don't hold a candle to his construction building ability here, okay? And we see this in John chapter 14, uh, verse 2. Jesus speaks to this, and he says, this is straight out of the words of the mouth of Jesus. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? All right, let's break this verse down a little bit here. What is the Father's house? What do you think the Father's house is? It is God the Father's dwelling place. Where does God the Father live? He lives in heaven, okay? He lives in heaven. We're speaking of heaven here, and Jesus says that within the Father's house, this is God the Father, maker of the universe, within his house are many rooms. Now, some Bible translations, if you have a church background, you may have heard of these rooms being referred to as something else. Uh, Basically, these rooms are referred to in some Bible translations as mansions, many mansions, within the big mansion, okay? The idea is, if there's a room within God's house, this is no mere room. This is not like the room, your bedroom. This is not like a motel room or a hotel room um, that's part of a larger motel or larger hotel or part of your house. No, a room in God's vast, huge, massive house in heaven has got to be much more exquisite and large and beautiful and amazing in every way. And so what Jesus is doing right now, right now, January 6, 2018, right now during his time in heaven until he comes, he is ensuring that there will be enough space and rooms and mansions built for all of his beloved followers to then join him in this new heavens and new earth and new Jerusalem that he is preparing and making for us. So we are speaking of likely billions and billions and billions of mansions within God's big mansion as part part of his ultimate mansion for his billions and billions of followers. This is really cool stuff. Now, if you've ever taken a drive through central Surrey on the farmland there, what kind of fields do you see? What are they growing in? Not that herb that we're, you know, somebody's growing that herb. Let's not go there. Okay, but they're growing a certain kind of fruit. Anybody know? 
blueberries, of course. And what kind of homes are typically on these blueberry farms? Mansions. I mean, these are massive. There are so many of them. I think there's now a bylaw against more uh, of their construction. You find them in Richmond as well with those blueberry fields. And so there are many, many, many mansions in Surrey and in Richmond and elsewhere. And these mansions, you may have noticed, are beautiful and they're massive. They are huge dwelling places where entire generations of families are living together. It's not just, you know, a couple and a couple of kids, you know, a mom and dad and a couple of kids. It's, it's generations of an entire family is there, multiple families. Well, times just one of those mansions, times just one of those mansions in Surrey here, by several billion, and now you are getting closer to what Jesus is now preparing for you and for me as we speak. Isn't that amazing? This is how good he is. This is how generous he is. Do we deserve this gift? We do not deserve this, but this is what he's doing for you. This is how much you mean to him. One last thing on this point. One last thing is simply this. Think about this. This phrase, it's on the screen, I think, love prepares a welcome. Love prepares a welcome. Think about that phrase. I got this phrase from Pastor David Guzik online, blueletterbible.com. And here's what happens. The idea is simply this. With love, expectant parents... Think of a pregnant mother and her, her, her husband, the father. They are preparing a room for baby. Maybe you've done this. Tammy and I did it. I don't know that we did it for a second child, but usually the first child gets all the goods. Okay, they get all the benefits. It's kind of new and exciting. And they're preparing a room for baby. What are they doing? They are painting the room. They're putting on decorations in the room. Uh, they are building the crib, which is a nightmare, by the way, building cribs. I don't know who came up with that idea. Why is it so difficult? I have no idea. And then they're making the diaper station, and then they're installing the, the swirly toy thingy, thingy, which is over top of the crib, which I think only uh, hypnotizes the poor baby and does serious damage. But anyhow, my point is, love prepares a welcome. Love prepares. Why do they do this? They love this coming child. And so it is with Jesus. Love prepares a welcome for you. You matter. We matter that much to Jesus that he is happy to spend literally thousands of years getting heaven ready for you, the ultimate room. And no doubt being heaven and being the son of God here, your room, your mansion, it will blow any expectation that you have currently of it. It will blow that expectation away. It will be much greater and much better. It will be amazing. And so this is why his ascension into heaven is important for you. Had Jesus not gone up to heaven, he would not be preparing a place for you to spend eternity with God in. It's an essential part of God's plan. Okay, that's, that's important to know. Let's give thanks to Jesus for this. Let's move on to the second biblical truth for why his ascension into heaven is significant for you. Here it is, number two. Christ's ascension keeps us longing for his future return. His ascension keeps us longing for his future return. We're going to look now at one uh, biblical account of his actual uh, ascension 
in, to heaven. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, here's what it says. And when he had said these things, Jesus, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white clothes, white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is quite the breathtaking scene here, and I love this picture of the scene. I think there might be one there eventually. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, okay? This is a a well-known painting. And as he is talking, they're looking at him, and he's lifting up and up. Imagine that happening. Someone's talking to you, and they're starting to rise literally before your eyes. And you're just like, what is going on? And he's going up and up and up until a cloud covers him. He's no longer visible to his disciples. Bible scholars think these are not just mere clouds that happen to be in the sky. This is probably the cloud of the glory of God's presence. And it's starting to envelop him into heaven at this point. He is going into the very presence of God here. And there the disciples, they're gazing and staring up into the sky where Jesus went, at which point these angels show up standing among them, and they say, why, I'm I'm paraphrasing here loosely, why are you looking up into heaven still? Jesus, he went to heaven, and in the same way that he went up to heaven, he will come back down to earth in the very same way, just in reverse. You ever do stuff, you see stuff on video, mechanics videos, how to change your oil or how to change your strut on your car? Well, basically, they will just simply say, just do everything I did now in reverse, and they'll actually do the video in reverse for you. That's kind of what's happening. So Jesus goes up, and then in reverse, that's precisely how he's coming back down again. Here's why Jesus' reverse ascension is a good thing. His reverse ascension is a good thing. You and I live, have you noticed, in a very broken world? Here in the lower mainland, opioid addiction is just off the charts. Some in this room have actually lost close friends to opioid addiction. There are lives being broken by drug addiction and people dying. There are struggling marriages. They are falling apart if they haven't fallen apart already. Politically speaking, there's just so much polarization and politicians are at each each other's throats, it seems like. Finances, cost of living is nuts. It's strained. Okay, everyone's in huge amounts of debt here in the lower mainland. And then, that's just on the outside. Then we look at how broken the world is when we look within ourselves. And very often, within ourselves, we see depression, we see anxiety, we see unhappiness, we see negative emotions everywhere. Furthermore, we not only continue to battle inward sinful desires like lust and anger and food addiction and so on, but we battle the breaking down of our physical bodies the, the, the more we age, whether it's back trouble or it's arthritis or something much worse like cancer. All of us, I think, in this room have been touched by cancer in some way. I mean, we, we live in a very broken, messed up world in large part because we ourselves are broken and messed up. Yes, if you're a Christian, thanks be to God, Jesus has begun the restoration process within you. But that restoration process will only be fully seen and fully realized when Jesus' reverse ascension takes place. When Jesus, he comes back again, and he comes back, and his mission at that point and role is to make everything right, and then to take us back home again when he returns to the new heavens and the new earth. 
And do you see, this is, I'm asking you, this is your hope as a Christian. This is what drives you, or should drive you every minute of every day of your Christian life. It would, it's, it's what, this hope in Christ is what helps you wake up on Monday mornings when it, the last thing you want to do is get out of bed. This gets you out of bed Monday mornings. And just like Jesus ascended into heaven to prepare a future place for you to live in, well, he, he will descend to earth again to then give you that place he's prepared for you and rescue you, rescue me from this broken world in which we live and this remaining brokenness within ourselves. This is a great hope. We, are, we, we forget about this great hope. And so what we must do, what we must do, what we must do is remind ourselves of Christ's ascension in order to keep you longing for his reverse ascension to his second coming when he will make everything right again to give you hope in this dark world, to give you hope when you watch the news on TV. No, that, that's not how things are going to end. No, things are going to end well with Jesus if you trust in him. Let's move on to the third biblical truth about his ascension that makes a difference in our lives. It's simply this. Christ's ascension gives us confident access to God's throne for mercy and grace. Christ's ascension gives us confident access to God's throne for mercy and grace. We get this from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, which say this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. All right, you may have noticed that verse 14 talks about Jesus being, being what? A great high priest on our behalf. A great high priest, what priests do is they bridge the gap between people and God. And Jesus bridges the ultimate gap between sinful humanity and our holy God, maker, and creator. And he brings us together by what he's done. And when it says in that verse that our great high priest has, quote, passed through the heavens. Did you see that there? He's passed through the heavens. That's code speak. That's a clear nod to the ascension of Jesus back into heaven. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he literally passed through the, the, the clouds, through the heavens, to go back into the presence of God and then sit at God the Father's right hand, reigning and ruling over all creation. And the point is, since Jesus ascended into heaven, and right now he sits at God the Father's right hand, well, he is now able to act as our great high priest before the Father, sympathizing with our weaknesses sympathizing with our temptations to sin. When you're tempted to sin, Jesus knows exactly what that's like because he was here for 30 or more years. All right? But more importantly than sympathizing with us, as our great high priest, Jesus made the ultimate blood sacrifice. He shed his own blood on the cross to pay for our sins before our holy God. And now Jesus, as the great high priest in heaven, he is sitting at the Father's right hand. He is, he is brought to complete completion his mission to give you as a Christian confident access to God's throne of grace where daily grace and daily mercy is freely available to you for the taking when you need it. And we need it. I need it every minute of every day. And Jesus has made that possible. 
It's hard to fully comprehend how massive of an opportunity this is for you. But let's relate to the Queen of England. I talk about the Queen. I like the Queen. I'm actually a pro-monarchy person, uh, rightly or wrongly. I have no idea. But the Queen, let me, let me talk about the Queen. Think about this. If you want access to the Queen right now, meaning you are willing to do whatever it takes to get access, to have a little visit with the Queen and to drink some tea together and, and eat some crumpets together, with the Queen, you are willing on your own dime to fly to London and go to the palace where, wherever it is and rent a car and all that stuff. You are willing to foot that bill just so I can drink some tea with the Queen and have some, you know, chin-wagging time with her. Will she take you in? Will she allow you to visit with her and to enter into her throne room there? No, she will not. Chances are very good that even if you give the queen, I don't know, a year's notice or five years or ten years notice, she will not see you. No, no, no. That door's closed, slammed shut. Why is it closed? Because you are not family. You are not Charles. You are not important enough in her eyes for her to open the doors and give you access into her throne room and have some, some connection time. No, no. You don't make the cut. But with the creator of the universe, who is far more important and far greater and far more royal than the queen. He is the creator of the universe. He made everything. There's no one more important or greater than he. It is different with him. Because of Jesus acting on, on your behalf as your great high priest, through his perfect life lived for you, through his death died for you on the cross for all your sins, through his resurrection for you, and through his ascension into heaven for you. He ascended into heaven for you, by the way. Well, now there's nothing standing in the way of you gaining access, free, wonderful access to God's throne room to make your request known to God uh, through prayer and to receive daily grace and daily mercy from Him. You and I need help every day. Did you know that? Do you, are you willing to admit that? You need help every minute of every day. And we have this opportunity in front of us, thanks to our great high priest, Jesus, and we need help and we need grace and mercy to cover your sins today. I don't know what's happened over the holidays for you. Something could have happened where you, you fell off the rails morally and you got into some sort of addiction, some sort of sin again. Maybe you drank too much. Maybe you ate too much. I think we all ate too much. You came here needing mercy and grace. I am saying to you, Christian, it is available. Confess your sins to God. Receive that mercy and grace. All right? Or just when you're, if you're in trouble, if you've been through all kinds of suffering and hard and difficult times, there is free, unfettered, full access to, to the throne room to ask God for help. We have access to the most important and powerful and loving person in the universe thanks to Christ's ascension. So there's no fear of punishment anymore. There's no fear that he's going to shame you anymore when you come to that throne room. There's no fear of, of not being accepted by or listened to by God anymore. No, you are now, thanks to Jesus, you are now his beloved son. You are now his beloved child with, again, free, unfettered access to God to receive daily mercy and daily grace that you need and that I need. How beautiful is this? All right. As I transition a bit, I want to share one more aspect to how Christ's ascension into heaven gives us access to God here. Let's look at John chapter, 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. It says these words, 
My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So do you see that as part of Jesus' role in heaven, his job now is to advocate for you. Parents, you advocate for your children, do you not? Teachers giving your kid a hard time at school, I mean, you're there advocating. And your kid may deserve whatever, but you're still advocating. And this is what he does. He advocates for you before God the Father. So when you sin, Jesus, your advocate, he takes up your cause with God. Jesus is on your side. And when Jesus advocates for you when you sin, it may sound something like this. Jesus saying, my father, my little one, my child, he sinned, and he sinned again. But, but, since he trusts in me, and he is my beloved son, and he believes that his sin was paid for on the cross, his sin is already forgiven. All his sins have been paid for by me on the cross. Yes, his sin grieves me, it saddens me, but it cannot isolate him or separate him from your presence, Father. Isn't it good? Isn't it good that Jesus ascended up to the Father's side to advocate for you and me when we sin and when we screw up? You know, Jesus died for the screw-ups. He died for the screw-ups. He died for you and I. And he died to save us, to rescue us, and to change us. And so if you need mercy and grace today, it's available to you, Christian. If you are not yet a Christian, I will help you uh, make those first steps of faith and trust and repentance and baptism that you need to take to be included into God's family. Be happy to have that conversation after the service. Let's move on to the fourth key biblical truth about why Christ's ascension is so significant for you and how it impacts your daily life. Number four in your notes is simply this. Christ's ascension made it possible for Jesus to send a helper, the Holy Spirit, to empower and to help us. To empower and to help us. Do you ever wake up in the morning? And who, who enjoys waking up? I don't think anyone enjoys waking up in the morning. Maybe you do. That's, that's great. That's not me. Um, and you, you wake up in the morning. Do you ever think to yourself, I wish... I could wake up with joy. I wish, uh, I, I could really use some extra help, some, some extra strength and extra power today to just get out of bed and then just run into my day. You know, I don't feel like I've got it within me right now to do much of anything at all. I want to stay where it's warm and comfortable here. Uh, in fact, you know, I wish I had someone, like a personal assistant, to, to help me every step of every day to live my life. That would be great, just to have a personal assistant. Now, in modern times, I think Google wants to be your personal assistant, by the way, and Alexa wants to be your personal assistant, and for you Apple users, it's Siri, and they want to help you with everything. But let's be honest, I mean, they, they might give you some information, but no, 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 their assistance is not enough. We are talking about, you need something more substantial. You need more substantial personal assistance. You need someone, someone real, who can give you strength every day, every, give you power every day, and give you motivation that every day that you need. Do you not need motivation? We all need motivation. And Jesus talks about a great source, the ultimate source of motivation, strength, and power in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. This is good stuff. And he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. And so what this means is the helper that Jesus gives to any and every Christian, this is the promise in Scripture, he gives any and every true Christian God, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the Spirit of truth to live within you. And when you receive God, the Holy Spirit, to live within you, you know him. You know him. He is closer than a brother. Why? Because he actually, truly, substantively, and really dwells, lives inside you, within you. And he is there to help you live the Christian life He is there to motivate you to actually want to obey Jesus. He is there to actually give you the strength and the power to actually pursue the mission of Jesus, which is to make disciples, making disciples of Jesus for God's glory, which is our church's mission statement. Interestingly, later on, Jesus tells his disciples there's a connection. There's a connection between his his coming ascension. So his ascension in that John chapter 14 has not yet happened, okay? But he's drawing a connection between his ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Jesus says these words, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. If I go, I will send him to you. So did you catch that? According to God's master sovereign plan to save and rescue and change humanity, it was required for Jesus. He had to go back up to heaven in order to ask the Father to then send God the Holy Spirit as our helper. And God the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost initially to inaugurate and to then usher in in a much fuller way the coming of God's kingdom in the hearts of people who would turn to Jesus. What this means is, had Jesus not returned up to heaven, it sounds like you and I would not have access to or would not receive God the Holy Spirit to help us live the Christian life. So it's, it's to your advantage that Jesus went away, incredibly. Jesus was in one place at one time, as one person. His role was different than God the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus went back up to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, and now... God the Holy Spirit can be simultaneously within billions and billions of believers, of Christians here now today. So the impact is exponential. It's exponential to then carry on the work of Jesus in a much bigger way. All right, let's take a little, let's press the pause button for a second. Let me ask you this, Christian. Do you see, do you, do you really believe right now that you have access to the most powerful person in the universe within you right now, within you right now, do you believe that there is no one more helpful, there is no one better to be helped by and changed by and motivated by than God the Holy Spirit who lives within you right now? Do you believe this? The Bible talks about what life with the Holy Spirit is like as a Christian. And it often uses the term Walk, walking in the Spirit, or walk with the Spirit. And so what this means is, you and the Spirit are living life together. And it means you daily, every day, trusting in the Holy Spirit's power 
to then put sin and sinful desires to death within you. So that's, this is called, the big word for this is called mortification, putting to death, okay? Putting sin to death within you, putting to death those flesh desires within, those self-centered desires. And what this may sound like in your prayers each day is, Holy Spirit, kill the lust in me, kill the pride in me, kill the addiction to self in me, kill the selfishness and the self-will in me, kill put it all to death, put to death the the sinful anger and the negative emotions in me. And Holy Spirit, replace that sinful fruit with the fruit of your Holy Spirit. And so for your glory, that others might see the presence of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in me, that they would want Christ and want the gospel, show off through me for your glory, the fruit of your Spirit, which are love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Are you walking in the Spirit in this way? Is this part of your, your prayer diet every day, your prayer routine? There's another aspect to walking in the Spirit. And it's simply this. Part of walking in the Spirit, walking in concert and cooperation with God the Holy Spirit, is looking to Him to empower you to pursue the mission of Jesus in your life, which is simply this, making disciples, making disciples of Jesus for God's glory. Think of your family, your extended family, your neighborhood, where you work. That's why you're still here on earth. That's why you're not up in heaven yet. You have a mission. As a Christian, I have a mission as a Christian, and our mission is to make more disciples of Jesus. And so we pray to the Holy Spirit, something like this, Holy Spirit, Break my heart for lost people who are going to hell without Jesus. Help me to see that. Help me to believe that. Help me to know that, that I might be motivated to do something about it. Please, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, give me a specific opportunity to share the gospel with someone who needs you. And help me to share that gospel, that good news about Jesus, winsomely, lovingly, compassionately, and boldly. Empower our church family. Do you pray for your church in this way? Do you pray for Mercy Hill Christian Church and about us pursuing the mission of Jesus? If you do, it might sound something like this. Empower our church family to effectively make disciple-making disciples of Jesus for God's glory. Holy Spirit, we can't pursue your mission in our own strength. We don't have it within us. We need your strength. We need your power. We need your motivation in order to be effective. Here's the thing. You are not walking in the Spirit as you should. I am not walking in the Spirit as I should. This is not a guilt bomb, by the way, but it's simply an encouragement to have this focus in your Christian life, knowing that God is within you and He is ready to empower you And so let us more fully see how much we've been given in order to see more personal change. This time of year is all about personal change, is it not? Do you see how much you've been given to see more personal change occur in you? And then to see more people know Jesus in our own city? But here's my point as I close. No ascension, no Holy Spirit. No ascension by Jesus, no Holy Spirit given. 
Therefore, let us be deeply grateful and daily aware that the ascension of Jesus into heaven made it possible for you to receive his spirit to help you. Christ's ascension into heaven made it possible for, for him to then begin to prepare a place for you in God's house. Christ's ascension reminds you to long for his future return with his reverse ascension. That gives you hope in our dark world. And lastly, Christ's ascension, it gives you access to God's throne of grace to give you help and mercy and grace in time of need. Let's pray. Lord, forgive me for forgetting all that you've given to me just simply because I've trusted in your son. You have given us so much and we have given you so little. And yet, that's, that's how you did it. That's how you set it up. It's for us to simply believe and trust in you, repent of our sins and be baptized as the beginning steps to be included as part of your family. We don't deserve anything. And yet you've been and are so generous to us. And we love you and we worship you so much for all that you've given to us. Help us to remember how important and practical uh, the truth and the reality of your ascension is, Lord Jesus. And would you just empower us to live lives that are increasingly showing your character through our lives uh, for your glory? And would you empower us for your mission in 2019 that we would see more baptisms than ever at this church? That people would be rescued from darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light and then begin to experience new life within as your Holy Spirit dwells within them. And then they also then reach out to others as well. Would you empower us to actually make disciple, making disciples of Jesus for God's glory in this church in 2019? Through Christ we pray. Amen.